So we are in this series on faith, and uh, I appreciated the, uh, the bumper because it just draws us back to last week and allows us to kind of hit on some of the things that we were already, if you weren't here, uh, aware of in the first A couple of verses of chapter 11. Last week, our focus was on defining a biblical faith by what it is not. And we actually use something up here on stage to kind of symbolize that because uh, people who walked in uh, to the auditorium last week in the beginning of the service saw the sign this way. Um, It was really more of what wasn't there as opposed to what was. And uh, then uh, the light came on and, and we saw faith, right? Now it's there, it's clear, we see it. it and, and, and so we, we determined that there's, there's some aspect of defining faith that comes in describing what it isn't. And uh, that video did a good job of, of describing some of the things that faith is, is not. Uh, we also looked at uh, really some descriptive verses found in the beginning of chapter 11. And uh, took a look at the first example of uh, faith found in the hall of faith. Uh, these, uh, these characters in, uh, in the Old and the New Testament uh, that are found in Hebrews and specifically in the beginning of Hebrews 11, we see these Old Testament saints. Uh, the first one we saw was Abel. And we discovered that there was this all-in attitude of worship that he had, that it wasn't necessarily about the content of his sacrifice, but uh, it was really in the attitude of which he had as he placed that sacrifice there before God. We were reminded last week that it is in whom we place our faith that is the key. We found that really that it is our obedience that is a key element of our faith. And as we will look in the coming weeks, we're going to find uh, some, some other characters in the scripture that really exemplified faith, again, by being obedient in spite of some crazy circumstances and situations they were facing. But this weekend, uh, the, the next person that we find in chapter 11 is a man by the name of Enoch. And uh, there are two Enochs in the Bible that we know of in Genesis specifically. Uh, the first one is in Genesis chapter 4, and he's related to Cain. Uh, I, I've heard commentators speak about how there was the evil Enoch and the good Enoch. Uh, We don't know a lot about this Enoch. We know he came from Cain. We don't know a whole lot else except that he was the namesake of the first city ever created that we're aware of. All right. So we we are, we do know about that. That's about all we know about him. But this other Enoch, uh, he he comes from the lineage of Seth. And um, I'd like for us to read about him. But before we get into Hebrews to do that, I'd like for us to actually read about him in the book of Genesis chapter five. This is lengthy, but it's it's, it's got purpose behind it, so hold on, okay? Uh, if you've got scripture in front of you, that's great. I'm actually going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible this evening. And uh, the, 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 uh, the verses are going to be on the screen behind me as well, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. And he blessed them and name them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. In the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 
Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. You see a pattern. Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalal. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalal, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalal lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. And then Mahalal lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Wow. Packed right there in chapter 5, we all of a sudden catch our breath and go, whoa, wait a minute, there's a break in the pattern. So-and-so lived so many years, had sons and daughters, lived so many more years and died. So-and-so lived so many years, had sons and daughters, lived so many more years and died. Enoch lived 65 years, became a dad, walked with God, lived 300 more years, had more kids. He kept walking with God. Then nobody could find him because God took him to heaven. (laughs) The Bible goes into great pains to distinguish what happens to Enoch and that it is significantly different than anybody else who had lived on the face of the earth. There are some major differences found in the Bible regarding people's physical lives, right, and how they change. I mean, let's think about it for just a minute. We've got uh, the Bible describing those who come back to life after uh, after they have been dead, only to die again, right? We've got the widow in 1 Kings 17. We have Lazarus. We have Jairus' daughter. We have the son of the widow who lived in the city of Nain, who lived in the shoe. Who did, no, wait, that's it, but it kind of feels like that. But we've got all these people, right? You also have the resurrection from the dead, okay? And uh, these people were not to die again, but to receive a new glorified body, namely Who? Just make sure you're listening. Yes, this would be the right time to say Jesus, right? (laughs) Typically, people use that as the default. This crowd was even uncertain about that. I understand it's been hot outside, okay? I get it. Our brains have melted. Jesus. And and we've got the future resurrection and transformation of the saints, right? And that's, that's coming. But we also have this very, 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 very small category of people, two, up to this point who went on to heaven without a physical death on this earth. Can you name the other one? Elijah. Oh, very good. Yes. You've been in the AC all day. Elijah and Enoch. And if we look at Hebrew 11, we find the writer fills in the gaps of our knowledge about this event even more. Ready? By faith, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up. I love that part because the... Not found means people were looking for him. Where did Enoch go? 
right? I mean, they are, they are going, hey, come on now. I mean, this is, you know, he couldn't have gotten far, okay? There's the desert. He's got to be here somewhere. They're looking for him, and he's gone. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Enoch walked with God. Enoch lived out a faith that was pleasing to God. And it certainly appears as if Enoch was hanging out with God. And, I, you know, this is just conjecture on my part, all right? I can't say this with certainty, but it appears as if God just said, you know what, I'm having such a great time with you. Why don't you just come on up here now? I mean, wow, we are having a blast. Just come on up here. I don't know exactly why God did this, why he spared Enoch a physical death. Uh, there are theologians that you can read from all different spectrums, uh, liberal to conservative, older to newer theologians. Nobody has a good answer for this, except to say, and probably this would be my best theological guess, besides the fact that God basically does everything that he does to bring himself glory. Okay, that's that default. I would say the other reason that maybe he did this is because he's God and he can. He's God and he can do it because he's God. Now, a couple of thoughts about Enoch. Enoch had a great, 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 great grandfather. Anybody know what his name was? Adam. Very good. And Adam, now I was not a math major. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you. When I was at Baylor, they, I don't know if they give this option anymore, but there's, uh, they, get, they let you do a philosophical class in place of the three hours of math that I had to have to graduate because I wasn't in a math-required major. And so I took philosophy instead of any math in college at all, all right? And somehow I still have managed to get by, okay? But what I will tell you is, even though I have a lack of math background, I added up all of these years of these people being on the earth, and you know what I determined? His great, 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 great grandfather, because he lived to be 930 years old, was still alive when Enoch was hanging out. Now, I don't know this either, but I think it's a pretty cool thought to have your great, 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 great grandfather hang out and visit with you about what it's like to walk with God. I bet they could have had some pretty phenomenal conversations about what not only it was like to walk with God, but what it was like to have that walk with God disrupted. Enoch lived also during a really rough time. The days were evil. This was pre-flood, okay? Noah was coming soon, but he still had a couple of generations yet to get there. But there were not this huge amount of people walking the earth at that time who would have described their lives as walking with God. Enoch was also a family man. He had kids. He had more than one kid. I can identify with Enoch. Look at this. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. We know from the verses that I just read that not only was he a family man, but he also walked with God for over 300 years. And Hebrews 11 paints the picture that he lived a life of faith that pleased God. And it was a life that was cut short. I mean, in, 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 our, in our understanding, it'd be like being cut short at like the age of 30 for us, right? 365 for him when all of his other relatives are living way past 
800 years old. But nevertheless, he was, he was taken away at a young age, having lived a life that diligently sought after God, all the way until the very end. I don't know about you, but when I look at the life of Enoch, I think that's, that's how I want to be known, as one who diligently sought after the Lord. All the, I, I don't know how the end will come. I don't know what that will look like, but I want it to be an end that says, I followed hard after God all the way to the end. Let's add this. The scripture doesn't say that he pleased God with anything specific. Not with a specific talent, not with a specific skill set, not with certain achievements or works. It wasn't like he spent extra hours at the temple. It wasn't built yet, right? I mean, he pleased God because of his heart of faith. And as a result, He basically had taken God at his word, walked with him his whole life, and God started to reveal some things to him that were just jaw-dropping. Just amazing. God revealed some things to Enoch. Catch this. This is craziness, right? I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but God revealed to Enoch that Jesus was going to come back a second time. Let's put this in our mind for a minute. They weren't aware of Jesus coming the first time. They weren't aware of who Jesus was. They weren't aware of a Messiah. And yet, he was given a prophecy that the Christ would come. Listen, Jude 14 and 15. It was also about these men that Enoch, same Enoch we're talking about here, in the seventh generation from Adam. There we go. We read all of those, right? We we followed all the way. If you count Adam as one, all the way to seven, we've got Enoch. Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. And to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood at this point. What, what I'm not saying is that as, if we walk with God, he's going to all give us some special revelation. That's going to get added into a holy book. But in this instance, the connection with God was so very intense that God wound up using him to prophesy about things that would occur literally thousands and thousands of years later that nobody knew or even could begin to comprehend. Again, for what purpose? For God to be glorified. To show, see, this was written about a long, long time ago. A couple of quick questions. Why? Why walk with God? What, why should we do that? Why should we be Micah as she walked with me around the auditorium earlier tonight? I, I got a couple of thoughts here. One, there's only one other option. Um, you can't be neutral, and it's not like there are a lot of other decent options, and that's just one of the good ones, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that the boys, now the boys that were up here, were they brothers? Is that right? Kind of felt, or no, they're just, no, they're not. Okay. So um, this one right here, what was his name? Joseph. Okay. So my, who's his parent? Anybody uh, claim him? Okay. Okay. There, there. Sorry about that. Yep. Okay. So, so here he is. He's up here, right? And he's hanging out. And my guess is that the cooks, right, uh, may or may not go out to eat tonight. And whether or not he went with me all the way around the room or not is really kind of irrelevant to whether or not he has a great night. 
because you could wind up taking them to Texas Roadhouse. I mean, y'all could wind up having a a fantastic evening. As a matter of fact, um, these parents love Jesus very, very much. I know that. And you know what else I know about them? I know that they are teaching their kids in a way that is going to bring them up to love Jesus as well. So you know what? He does not need my advice to walk around the curtain. Now, whoever Micah's mom and dad is, it's not like if I wasn't with her, she was going to crater. Okay, I get that, right? But my point is, follow me with me for a minute, that, that the example kind of breaks down because we could have all gone off and been fine, lots of options, no problem, right? They didn't have to go with me to get what they got. And as a matter of fact, in the end, they really didn't because I gave them all a $10 gift card. Now, walk with me for just a minute here. Let, let, check this out. This is where it gets really crazy. 57% of evangelical Christians in our country do not believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. In the latest Pew Research poll, 57% do not believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me that he was really telling the truth. That's not people who just say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> right? These are people who say, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I acknowledge that I am an evangelical church-attending person in the United States of America. 57% say, you know what? I think there might be some other options. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Matthew 12, 30 says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather me scatters. The way I read Jesus' words here, I find it pretty simple. As a matter of fact, I think the choice is really not that hard. Eternal life, eternal wrath. Gathering people to God with my life, scattering people away from God with my life. When I was nine years old, I gave Jesus my heart. And I've never looked back since. I realized that salvation could occur for me by placing my faith in the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for me. My question to you is, has that ever been an experience that you would say, yes, I can go to, and I know that I went from creation of God's to child of his, that I accepted the new life that I could have in Christ. I'm not going to assume that just because you came on Saturday night, that all of a sudden it must mean that you know Christ as Savior. It might be that whether or not you've been in church a long time or a short time, you've still got some hesitancy about that decision. What I would say is Christ makes it crystal clear. There are only two options. There's only one other option to choose outside of him, and that's to reject him. And that rejection of him doesn't get us to God. I think there's another reason why we should walk with him, not just because he's the only Great option. The only option worth choosing. But also, we only have one life. James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. 
Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. There is no reincarnation. There are no second chances. There is not a reset. We have this one life to live. I think the third reason is that there's only one eternity. Luke 16, 19, Jesus tells this story. Remember it as the poor man and the rich man, they both die. The poor man named Lazarus. But the rich man went to Hades and was crying out for Lazarus to cool him off with even just a drip of water. And God said that would not be possible because there's this great chasm between the two and they cannot cross. There's only one eternity. We only have one option, one time to make the choice. The scriptures don't seem to indicate or give any support to this love wins in the end for everyone theology that has been written about. We have one life, one eternity, and only one other option. Why would we not choose God, who is our creator and our savior, who is our redeemer and our friend? I would say that if you were tracking with me up to this point and you are a believer, then maybe where that helps us land is just to go, wow, do I believe that so much that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that whoever I'm around knows what the options are, knows that Jesus is worth it, knows that I've banked everything on him. There's a season that's about to start. It's already started up around our house. I know I'm going to have a lot of options to be in a lot of conversations, whether it's on the baseball field or the soccer field, with parents that just because their kids live in Highland Village or Flower Mound or Louisville, it doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Just because we're in the buckle of the Bible belt and we've got churches that are larger than us on all four sides, it doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Do we really believe it? Question number two that comes to my mind about walking with God is how. How do you do it? Um, We don't see a whole lot of descriptive uh, words as to how Enoch did it. We know that his walk pleased God. We know that God gave him some prophecy. We know that the relationship apparently was so tight that God just took him and brought him up. Um, when, I, when I was, when I was at, at, at Baylor, I took a class called Packard for Physics. And the more I share with you about my education, the more I feel like you're probably about to realize that I just have never been that much of a student. But um, what I will tell you is Packard Physics was known as football physics, and it was known for teaching you know, predominantly football players and people like me uh, really important things like when you drop something, it falls. Um, <laughs> Law of gravity, easy enough. Not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can get that. I got it, all right? Um, This is not a real difficult concept. I think we can all get this. You ready? We walk with God when we go the same way God is going at the same time he's going. That's it. That's all I got. We had a physical illustration of that just a minute ago. 1 John 2, 6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
So we get to know God. How? We watch how Jesus lived and interacted with people while he was on the earth. We undercover how God interacted with people all throughout scripture that he's laid out here in his love letter to us. At Rock Point, we have these elders. And the elders, I like to describe them as kind of like the bumper guards. If you've been bowling with small children, you know what I'm talking about. You put the bumper guards out on both sides, and that way the ball's going to get to the pins, right? It does not go into the gutter. And, and, and that's kind of how our elders react uh, and, and respond as we kind of bring issues and opportunities and circumstances into the meeting each week. And it's just like, you know, they're not necessarily there to make all of the calls. We have respected pastors and uh, ministry leaders that are making those day-to-day operational calls. But what they do is they, they look at our vision and our values and our mission as a church, and they recognize, okay, we are to be receiving and equipping and impacting and sending. And as we do all of those things, it's like, okay, all, here comes some great Now, does this keep sending us down the bowling alley? Is this continuing to move us toward the pins? So how does God, this is a deep thought, right? You'd ask this at the table for dinner one night. How does God stay in the lane? What are his bumper guards? Does he have any? His attributes, who he is, his character He does not change. He is immutable. Therefore, when 1 John 2, 6 says, if we want to walk with him, we need to walk the way he walked, it means he's not going to change his mind and surprise you tomorrow by going, oh, you know what? Hey, I got an idea. I think yelling at your spouse is fine. You know what? If you want to tell them a lie, you just go for it. Listen, if you want to pollute your mind with all of that crud on the internet, you go for that. That's fine. I got an idea. How about this? How about you be quick to speak and really quick to get angry? Right? We're not waking up tomorrow with God going that direction. Why? Because that goes against who he is and who he is is not changing. He is immutable. You say, well, what does all that mean for me then in my walk with him? Well, then here's the, here's the reality. You know how I know when I'm walking with God? It's because I am aware of who he is, his holiness, his truth, his patience, and how those attributes filter down into absolute truths that guide me with principles for how I live and how I interact with others. And I live out that life based on those truths that are not changing. In order to walk with God, I just have to make up my mind that I'm going to go in the same direction he's going. And he's not changing. He's still the same God. So we are to be in step with God as we practice what many call spiritual disciplines. And as we live out these spiritual disciplines, it's going to call for course directions and adjustments as necessary within our life. Why? So that my life looks like his. So that my walking is in sync with him. And these spiritual disciplines are really basic ways in which we have observed through Scripture people interacting with God for thousands of years. Studying His Word, meditating on it, praying, confessing, thanking, worshiping, celebrating, fasting. Simplicity, lives of stewardship and solitude and submission and service and evangelism. Many books have been written on this, whether it's Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, Here's, here's the point. The point is, 
we could call those disciplines a lot of different things. We don't even call them disciplines if we don't want to. But there are ways in which we respond and react to God so that we can make sure we're on the same page he is. His page is not changing. Who he is is the same. And my thought, as we come toward the close here, is that Enoch gives me an awful lot of hope. He just does. Not so much that I'm not going to face death and be like him. I don't know what that all is going to look like. But I have an awful lot of hope because you know what? Enoch was a man of faith in a world with a lot of moral challenges. Anybody watch the VMA Awards? We got moral challenges, right? He lived out his faith even though he was a family man. Even though my assumption is he was a busy guy. Anybody busy in the room? He obviously learned to walk at God's pace, which I would have to admit is rarely my pace. Maybe often is not your pace. It's the pace that's described in Isaiah 64 when the verses read that we are going to be able to know what God wants us to and respond accordingly. Why? Because he acts on behalf, quote, of those who wait. 1 Kings 19, 13. Remember Elijah, the other one who did not taste death on this earth? He heard God, but it wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the whirlwind. It was in the whisper. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. The way I wanted to close was just in jumping into verse 6 for a minute. I think Ron may do a little bit of verse 6 next week as well, but I wanted to just touch on it. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he comes to God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The word I circled there was rewarder. Because just in case God's provision and protection isn't enough of a sell for us, God says, listen, I'm a, I'm a rewarder of those who seek me. That, that's the only time in all of the New Testament that that Greek word, misthepodotus, is used. Words never used any place else in the New Testament. But it is a word that describes God as the great rewarder. Our walk with God is, God is worth it every step. Enoch's reward, he didn't face physical death. He received some prophecies that I'm sure even he himself didn't understand, right? <laughs> when we walk with God, the Spirit is moving in and through us. And, um, and we're rewarded. And it's not so much monetarily, right? I mean, that's not what God promises. He doesn't promise that Red Robin coupons are going to fall out of our pants every day. That would be a really weird thing to have happen. (laughs) But you know what he does do? He says, when the Spirit is guiding you, walking inside of you, 
that you experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and fulfillment and purpose and ultimately eternity. And I don't know about you, but I think we have a world of people that are seeking any one of those things. And they would be considered the greatest reward. Will you bow with me? Jesus, you've invited me to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. And I think, God, that when you say follow, it means so much more (laughs) than what we see that word meaning today. God, my understanding is that the word follow is a concept that involves walking with and not just admiring with admiration. And so, God, my prayer for this congregation, for this group of so many of your faithful followers, is that we would follow you in the sense of walking with you. And not just follow you in the Twitter sense. (laughs) That we would follow you in the sense that we interact with you at an intimate level and are able to hear your voice. Because we are still. God, thank you for being the God who does not change, that your character remains the same. God, thank you for being our creator and redeemer and friend. And God, thank you for being our rewarder. We probably don't sing enough songs with that word in it. Don't think I've ever heard one. But God... You reminded us with just that word tonight that you've got some gifts to bring to us in this walk that will blow us away. So God, may that walk be fresh and vibrant and true. May we seek after you this week. God, I pray refreshment. Moments of spiritual refreshment in the midst of a crazy new week that we'll experience after the holiday. And yet, may it be so rewarding because it's with you. God, I also pray for those who do not know you that might be in the room tonight. God, that maybe the why question about our walk was something that your spirit was able to use tonight to compel and draw and bring those who don't know you into a saving relationship with you. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. May we walk with you as we leave this place.